We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Welcome tonight. Acts chapter 2, please. I want to say a word of thanks for uh, Drew standing in the pulpit last uh, time when uh, Jansen and I both were out of town. Um, we had good meetings with Gospel Mission of South America and uh, just how it is uh, at, this, at this particular time of the year. We're in Acts chapter 2, and we've completed our study of chapter 1 for now. And now in Acts chapter 2, we're talking about the first church. And my title is The First Church Born by the Spirit. Uh, the uh, truth that I want to get across here is that I hope that we, like they, will be filled by God's Spirit, speaking of God's wonderful works. Uh, that doesn't mean we'll have all of the things the same that happen here as what they had, but we should uh, have those key items as uh, part of our church life and, and really all of our lives. Until now, in the narrative of Scripture, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit has been, in my estimation, somewhat limited. Now, however, we're going to learn about three of his ministries that either started or, as I say, had a fresh reboot on... Uh, on Pentecost, on that day of Pentecost. I'm not going to focus on Pentecost, the meaning of it from the Old Testament law. Uh, as far as we go tonight, it's just going to be 50 days after uh, the Passover. It's a date on the calendar that happened, you know, those days after, those weeks after, seven weeks. So um, the Lord had been resurrected and then spent 40 days with the disciples teaching them the things concerning the kingdom of God. And now um, it's been nine, ten days later altogether until they experience the events of this section. So let's look at, uh, and maybe another time I'll just mention a little bit about the day of Pentecost. But uh, as you know, I, I haven't been really big on types and shadows and foreshadowings and things like that as far as what the feasts in the Old Testament mean in terms of New Testament truth. Uh, there are connections, interesting connections that people make uh, with those, um, but for us Gentiles, those connections have are kind of lost on us, you know, because we're not accustomed to the Jewish law and practice, cultural practice. But in any case, um, we're, not, we're not trying to downplay that unnecessarily, just mention it. So first of all, the day of Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, and what that means is that Pentecost began, the day began the night before, as we call it. So at 6 p.m. the prior evening, the day of Pentecost opened. But now the day has fully come, so they've passed through the night, and now the day is, is uh, upon them. They were all with one accord in one place. Now, does that sound familiar? Well, Acts 1.14 says these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication uh, with, you know, was the disciples, the apostles, Mary, the other women, uh, his brothers, and 120 
well, a hundred or so other uh, Christians, new, new, new believers really, not even Christians technically per se, I suppose. Uh, we could say, practically speaking, yes, but uh, they hadn't experienced the birth of the church yet. So, uh, and certainly we're not called Christians at that time, not until Acts chapter 11 do we see that uh, moniker used of Christians. But in any case, um, we have the day of Pentecost. They were all with one accord in one place for 10 days, 9, 10 days, however much it was. And suddenly, verse 2, there came a sound from heaven. Now listen, the text of Scripture is precise. As of a rushing mighty wind. Okay? The napkins did not blow off the table at this event because it wasn't a wind. It was a sound as a wind. You got it? Okay? And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues, read precisely again, as of fire. Okay? They weren't fire but they were like fire somehow. And one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I just uh, mention, although out of order with regard to the way I prepared my notes for you, which are on the website, by the way, if you'd like to look at them. I didn't print out copies for you here tonight, but it's available. Um you see a similar thing about the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit, the, person, the third person of the triune God, is pleased to uh, manifest himself in, a, in an appearance in different ways in, in the world. So you have uh, this uh, appearance of fire, and then in Matthew 3.16 it says, When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, not a dove, like a dove, and alighting upon him. So you have that, you have uh, different manifestations in the Old Testament, the book of Revelation, and so on. Just an interesting little thing. Um, so we read on Acts chapter 2, verse number 5 now. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues, or can I say our own languages? I can say that because that's what it means. The wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said they are full of new wine. Okay, so the 120 disciples were gathered, um, so 12 disciples plus 108 others. It's been eight or nine days of waiting, and they were continuing with one accord, with one mind or one purpose. They had a singular focus on the things of God and the promise of Christ regarding the Holy Spirit. 
And there they were, all together, sticking together after a week. That's hard to do when it is other sinners you're together with. Even harder because you're a sinner yourself. (laughs) Start living with uh, people and you find out how you really are with each other and uh, the secrets go out the window, so to speak. So there was a strange event that happened when they were gathered. There was an unusual noise like a fast wind. And what was this? Well, chapter 2, verse 17 tells us exactly what it was. It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Okay, the wind was, I'm speaking metaphorically now, the wind was just now upon the earth and it blew in at this initial time period. That is, the Spirit of God was poured out in this one location. And I just, I'm just imagining it now. If you have a massive thing being dis- given through a small tube, there's going to be a rush of fluid or air through that tube. A lot of compressed air is going to rush through a very small tube very fast, isn't it? Some of us who've studied our fluid dynamics will know uh, about that, and the pressure and the speed and all of that sort of thing. But this is the first location where the Spirit of God is poured out. Now today, the Spirit of God is given to all believers. We'll, make, we'll look into that more later, but it's just kind of distributed across the whole earth. You don't have a big windy sound. But you have the effects of the wind, as Jesus said in John chapter 3. You know, you don't know where it comes from or where it's going, but you certainly can see it. And uh, here it is, a strange, strange happening. Paul or Peter said, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now next time, we'll, as we have occasion, we'll exact, look more exactly at what that means. That uh, it's like, or this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, and what ways it was like it, and what ways it was dis, uh, you know, dislike it or unlike it. So there was a unique appearance also, in addition to this sound that was heard, the appearance of divided tongues of fire that rested upon each person. So the sound was not an actual windstorm, the appearance was not real fire, it appeared to be like fire. Earlier on in Matthew 3, we mentioned the likeness of a dove was the representation of the Spirit. Here it is, this sound and the divided tongues of fire. Now, you might think, like I did when I first studied this years ago, uh, like, oh man, maybe somebody's going to make a correlation here and say, well, there's the Spirit and there's fire. And the Lord said, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit and... John the Baptist said, there's one coming after me who is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. I'm not worthy to loose the straps of his sandals and all of that. So is this the baptism of the Spirit and fire? Um, well, this is actually only the fulfillment of the start of spirit baptism. The baptism of fire, I under, as I understand it from Matthew's gospel and the other gospels, is a matter of judgment. So the Lord is going to come, John the Baptist is prophesying, and he's going to initiate a new baptism of the Spirit, and he's going to uh, have a baptism of judgment or fire as well. Okay, Fire, cleansing, judgment, chastening, that sort of thing. So the appearance like fire is not a fulfillment of the baptism of fire, 
that indicates a separate thing that is judgment. That's how I understand that uh, portion to be. So baptism of the Spirit, good. Baptism of fire, painful, not so good. Uh, This is just an appearance of the Spirit. So the Spirit is like the fire, or the fire is like the Spirit. It's not that it's a literal fire and it's not a baptism of fire. But in any case, uh, you might come up with a different explanation of that. That's mine, uh, my explanation of how it works. Now it says um, in verse number 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now how would we know that they're full of the Spirit? Well, we know because the Bible tells us so. That's how. Okay, It's just flat out. Dr. Luke has written that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. He wrote that under the superintending hand of God's Spirit to make sure that everything that Luke wrote was exactly God's Word intended for the church or the world for all the future until the Lord returns. Um, So without that, we would maybe conjecture about what happened to them. You know, we might conjecture that their ears hurt from the sound of the wind or that their hair was singed with the fire or they began to act crazy for some reason, but no, that wasn't the case. They tell us that what was happening was that they were filled with the Spirit. Now, Luke would have been somewhat familiar with this and the other disciples because there were occurrences of Spirit filling in the Old Testament. Uh, In the book of Exodus, two or three times you find God says, I have filled Bezalel with my spirit so that he can do marvelous craftsmanship to build the tabernacle. Or Pharaoh observes that Joseph is a man in whom is the Spirit of God when he saw how Joseph was wise and able to manage the circumstances that were facing them with the famine. So those are some examples. Um, So it's not that there was no ministry of the Spirit in the Old Testament. That's clearly not the case. There was ministry of the Spirit in in the Old Testament. But we're talking about a blossoming, an expansion of the work of the Spirit. Now all believers are going to be filled or able to be filled with the Spirit, not just a few, you know, Joseph and David and from time to time and Bezalel and a few others for special works, but all believers. I don't don't know if you really grasp or have sit and pondered what does that mean. Like in the Old Testament, it was a fairly rare, to me it seems, from what we can read. In the New Testament, everybody, all Christians should be like that, can be like that, are supposed to be like that. So, so what about spirit baptism? We know this event is connected with spirit baptism for two reasons. One, the Lord promised that spirit baptism would happen not many days from now. That was 10 days earlier. Okay? And, and then the prior 40 days. Secondly, we know that Peter says in Acts chapter 11, verse 15, that these events already began, uh, had already begun to happen. Look at 11, 15 in Acts. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell up upon them as upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. By the way, that's one reason, that text is one reason why I don't believe that the baptism of fire is fulfilled in this portion back in Acts 2, because the Lord's, uh, or sorry, uh, 
Peter records the word of the Lord saying, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Spirit. doesn't say anything about fire. And in fact, in Acts chapter 1, verse number 5, it says, John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. It doesn't say anything about being baptized with fire. That, that was mentioned by John the Baptist uh, years earlier. Okay, so what, what I'm arguing is that this is the beginning of spirit baptism. Jesus predicted it just 10 days earlier, about to happen, not many days from now. And Peter in Acts 11 looks back and says, this is what happened to us at the beginning. So he's, we're kind of boxing in the beginning of the church here by the chronological notes there. In this case, in this case, filling was accompanied by or resulted in their speaking in tongues. It says they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other languages, other tongues. Now, this is not always the case, nor has it always been the case um, that people speak in tongues whenever they are baptized with and then filled by the Holy Spirit. This is a clearly a unique event in the lives of the disciples, unique in the New Testament up to this point, unique in the and in the Old Testament, too, as far as world history is concerned. Nothing like it ever happened before. Perhaps the closest would be the Spirit of God coming upon the 70 elders in Exodus. Remember that um, when God distributed the Spirit of God to, to people to help Moses rule the nation of Israel because of all the burdens that were on, on Moses and his father-in-law from Midian suggested that he get some people to help him do different you know, judgment activities. Um, in number, actually, in Numbers chapter 11, you find that. Um, note that the men there in, in the 70 or 72, because two others did as well, prophesied initially but did not continue to do so. Moses wished that all of the Lord's people would have the presence and ministry of the Holy Spirit. If you remember reading that text, oh, that all God's people would have that. Well, they didn't have that, but that was 70. Now we have 120. Moses' wish would not be fulfilled in any measure until Pentecost when verse 4 says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, not all prophesy today, obviously. We, we've gotten into that before. but I understand the event here to have been the fulfillment of the promise of spirit baptism as well as an incident of spirit filling as well as the spirit gifting the people with tongues. This is a very important event But these three are distinct ministries of the Spirit. Let me say that again. Spirit baptism is distinct from spirit filling, is distinct from the gifting of languages. Okay? Every believer is baptized by the Spirit. Only some are filled at any given time and to a lesser or greater degree. Others are not walking in obedience, and thus we would not say they're being filled or acting as if they're filled or under the full influence of the Spirit of God. Um, I don't personally take filling to be an on-again, off-again thing. It's more by gradations. Uh, It has to do with maturity, Uh, although somebody who is very immature can be, to the measure they can, filled by God's Spirit. And again, fewer were and none today are given the gift of speaking in other languages. So every believer baptized by the Spirit Some, hopefully most, hopefully all, are filled, but 
Very few in the history of the church and none today are given the gift of speaking in other languages. So those three gifts, or three rather, three ministries of the Spirit are distinguishable. And I will address them now in a little more detail in reverse order. I'm going to deal with the tongues first because that's dealt with in verses 5 through 13 at a great length. So we have a small group of Galileans, so identified by their mother tongue and their culture, speaking in a bunch of foreign languages. Visitors in the area heard them and thus verified that what was happening was real. Okay, It wasn't fake, it wasn't put on, it wasn't chat GPT, it wasn't any, it was real. Okay, Real languages and a multitude of nationalities, including Jews, who spoke these different languages. Now let me just highlight again, what is the gift of tongues? It is the ability that God has given to a person in this time period, in the early church, to miraculously know, understand, and be able to speak a foreign language. Okay, Let me illustrate with the language you probably haven't thought of, and it just occurred to me this evening to say, because one of our viewers is uh, one of my radio friends. I call him my radio friend because I met him on the radio. And um, he is an amateur radio operator like I am. And, but he has one advantage over me. He knows a language that I don't. And that language is called CW or Morse code. Okay, that's, Those are, mean the same thing. Um, and uh, international Morse code, well, an American Morse code, and he knows variations of it. But anyway, let's just keep it simple. Let's just suppose that God miraculously gifted me so that tomorrow morning I woke up and I was able to communicate with him in Morse code. Dots and dashes, or dits and das, okay, as they as they call them. And, and, and I didn't have to learn it. I just snapped. There it was. I could just, you know, do the, the, the dots and the dashes and make the letters, and I could do it at 25 words a minute. That would be wonderful. And, uh, you know, instead of learning to do it at five words a minute, very slow, that would be a gift of a language. You know, it's an odd language. It's a digital language, like a computer language almost. It's different than the computer language because it was developed before that for telegraph and things. But you get the idea. Same as if you woke up tomorrow morning and suddenly you could speak Russian or Spanish or French. You've been learning French for how many days in a row now? <laughs> 700 and some continuous days of practice with the French language. Uh, that's not exactly this. This is like no practice with the French language and suddenly you can speak it. Okay, That's what the gift of speaking in tongues is all about. It's not gibberish, it's not nonsense, it's a real language, okay? And they were speaking these named languages from, look at this, people groups, eight distinct people groups. Parthian, Medes, and Elamites, that's number one. Mesopotamia is number two. Judea and Cappadocia is number three. Pontus and Asia. I'm just going by the groupings that Luke has in kind of uh, how he's written the text. Phrygia and Pamphylia is number five. Egypt and the parts of Libya, that's number six. Rome, number seven. And then Cretans and Arabs. Now, why those are grouped together like that, I haven't ascertained that. But what I can say is not 
that there are more than eight languages here. There are about 15 different languages. Most of these people that we're talking about here were probably bilingual, if not trilingual. They grew up with all those languages around. They knew their mother tongue. They knew Greek and perhaps one other language as well. Many Jews knew Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. So lots of different languages going on. Can you imagine the hubbub of all this kind of chattering going on in all these different languages? Okay. The nature of this gift is that it is a speaking gift. What I say, when I say that, I'm saying I'm contrasting it with a hearing gift. Okay? It's not like I'm speaking English and God does something to your ear to make you hear Spanish in your mother tongue of Spanish. No, that's not it. I'm actually speaking Spanish and you're hearing the Spanish that I myself am speaking or the Russian that I myself am speaking or the Chinese and so on. Of course, the languages were different back then than they have evolved to be today, but you get the idea. It's a gift given by the Holy Spirit, an ability. This is a human language gift also, okay? So it's a speaking gift. It's a Holy Spirit gift. It is a human language gift. Now you say, well, that's obvious, isn't it? Well, is it a human language or is it an angelic language? It's not a heavenly language or angelic language or whatever. The primary difficulty with what I've just said, though, is, is uh, 1 Corinthians 13, which says, though, or even though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but don't have love, then I'm nothing. Okay? Obviously, the point of that passage is not to teach about a, an angelic tongue. What's the point of it? The point is to teach if you have... If you exercise some spiritual gifts apart from love, then it's useless. Okay? Don't miss the forest for the trees here. You know, get caught up in, oh, this is about tongues of men and angels, and what are angels' tongues and all that. No, it's talking about whether you exercise love or not. But having mentioned the tongues of men and angels, we people assume that there must be some angelic tongue. What is an angelic tongue? It's an angelic language. Do you suppose that angels perhaps communicate to each other in some language other than English? I mean, they talk in English right here, right? It's good enough for them. It must be good. It's good enough for us. It must be good enough for them. No, I mean, obviously it's preposterous. Probably don't speak in English. Hebrew? I don't know. Uh, You know, Greek? No, it's very feasible that there could be a language that angels use to communicate with one another and with God. I don't know what that language is. It's the angelic language, but it's a real language. And if I was gifted to be able to speak it, then I could speak it fluently and so on. I don't know who I'd speak it to because I haven't talked to any angels lately, but you get the idea again on that. So um, their communication is also able, maybe they're, maybe they're polyglots. You know what that is? Somebody that knows many languages. They can speak English and Hebrew and German and Russian and whatever would speak Hebrew to the to uh, speak to um, you know Samson's parents and uh, Greek to speak to Mary and Joseph about the birth of Christ and all of that Aramaic to speak to Daniel perhaps in Daniel chapter nine um, it doesn't matter really um, so 
speaking in a language, even if it is a real language that nobody knows, is useless. So we wouldn't even ponder it for very long to talk about that. Obviously, gibberish is worthless as well. So these are human languages. What is the content meant to be conveyed by this gift? Well, what does it say Uh, in verse number 11? We hear them speaking in our own languages, and here's the content, the wonderful works of God. We're probably, well, we don't know exactly what they said. We'd love to have like a little sidebar, you know, a little gray box on the side that says, by the way, what they were saying was, it doesn't tell us that, Probably correct to say that their speech included the gospel and perhaps a more general proclamation of the great things that God had done throughout history. Recounting the wonderful things that God has done. Doesn't the psalm, the book of the psalms do that a lot? Remember God's wondrous works to the children of men. Praise God for his mercy endures forever. And those many passages that deal with those sorts of things. So in the context of all of this, the response of the people now was what? Well, confusion. What is this? What is this? These Galileans are now all speaking our languages. They were amazed. Not only what is it, how can it be? If you didn't know what I just taught you, Sam, what would you think about somebody speaking a foreign language suddenly? What if Enoch started talking to you in uh, Chinese? You would say, how did you learn that? How did you learn that? Where, what does this mean? And you'd be confused because you wouldn't understand what he's talking about. And he'd be like, why don't you understand Chinese, Sam? It's easy. Thirdly, they marveled. They marveled, and they were amazed again, the text says, and perplexed. Not only what is this, how can it be, but what does this mean? What is the meaning of this? That's a good question to ask. I was just just pondering that. Um, When things happen, ask yourself, what is the meaning of this? When... You read and see Christians professing faith in God and in Christ and living like it. You say, what is the meaning of this? How is this possible? What, what is this all about? Why do they do this? How can this be? Um, just general things. You know, you see something strange happen in the world and you're going to say, what's the meaning of this? We, we have a, an inbuilt desire for meaning. Not just like, Oh, wow, that, that happened. Okay, move on to the next thing. You know, you'd be like, hmm, why did that happen? What's going on here? Others, not just confused and amazed and marveled and perplexed, but others mocked. Look at the end of verse 13. They are full of new wine. Full of new wine. So here's what people do. They go for a naturalistic explanation. Not a supernatural one. You see that? Well, it must be the wine. They've been drinking new wine. On the surface, this is an obviously flimsy argument. How do drunk people babble 
and just happen to say things in another language that are coherent? Does a drunk person really make a lot of sense? You've seen some of these uh, like police uh, dash cam videos or whatever where, or, or, or body cam videos where they go and they arrest or they make a traffic stop and the person in the car is kind of like, well, they're heavily inebriated and they can't walk the straight line and they don't make sense at all. And, uh, you know, they do things like I saw one where once the guy kind of got came to himself, they sat down with him and said, you know that you 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 hit a person and killed them last night. He's like, no, I didn't do that. He did do that. He was so drunk that he didn't know. He wasn't making any sense. He didn't know what he was doing. He couldn't speak in a coherent language at that time, much less some other language. So it's a flimsy argument. But my point is to say they went hunting around for a naturalistic explanation for what was going on. They couldn't take that it was God that was at work. Now, Peter responds in the following verses that their mocking was baseless because it was only 9 o'clock in the morning. Most people don't get drunk by 9 o'clock in the morning. And certainly not all 120 people. Now, I understand alcoholics, people with true alcoholism, who have fallen into an addiction, may drink the first thing out of bed. Okay, But that was obviously not the case here. And even if that were the case, such people probably aren't going to get drunk on their first drink. They might feel a bit of the uh, effects of it, but they're going to be so acclimated to wine that they're not going to have that effect. And new wine also, I, as I understand, new wine. It's not old, fermented well-aged wine, it's going to have a low alcohol content. You'd have to imbibe a fairly large amount of it to get drunk by 9 a.m. <laughs> or to get drunk uh, at all if you were accustomed to the wine. That's why um, in Paul's writings, he talks about the elder or others not lingering long near the wine, not lingering long because that's what lead, led to drunkenness. So I'm going to stop here just with this word of application before next time we'll pick up with spirit filling and uh, spirit baptism as well. But just with this application, what are our tongues speaking? Perverse things? Empty things? Useless things? Are they full of jesting and gossip and swearing? Complaining and grumbling? How about we fill our tongues with the wonderful works of God? Wonderful works of God. Let us have that be the case and, uh, and help one another out, filled with the Spirit, speaking about God's wonderful works. Let's pray. Father, thank you for tonight's look at the first few verses of chapter 2 and Acts. Thank you for using Luke to record it, putting it down so that it's perfect right there for us to study in depth and to glean some good truth from. Grant us, Lord, that we, like they, may have our tongues filled with the wonderful works of God, not with the philosophies of men, not with gossip and complaining, but all about you and your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.